When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're two games into the NBA Finals. And we're tied up, headed back to Beamtown. The Warriors with a 107-88 win in Game 2. Boston with a 120-108 win in Game 1, the opener. And so we head over to the East Coast. Long, long, long flight from the Bay. Boston going back home with all that green, white, and black in the audience trying to cheer them on and take this thing at least another win or two going back to the Bay whenever Game 5 gets there. We also had some news going around the NBA. Quinn Snyder, shockingly, maybe not so shockingly, stepping down as the Utah Jazz head coach. What's going on with Donovan Mitchell over there? Who knows? Darvin Ham introduced as the Lakers head coach on Monday. Spoke highly of Anthony Davis. Apparently forming an alliance with Russell Westbrook. Sure, we'll get into that. Pat Riley also talked on Monday, talking about the Heat improving the team, making stern comments in regards to Kyle Lowry. Talking about going after the big fish potentially in the offseason. And we know where Tyler Hero is standing here in the organization. And of course, we also have DeAndre Ayton to talk about. There's just rumors left and right about this guy. And uh, it seems to be trending towards him not being a Phoenix Sun next year. So we'll get all into that. Charlotte's also got some head coaching interviews in the final stages. Kenny Atkinson, Mike D'Antoni. Lots of stuff going on around the league. And we got it all right here for you here on Keeping It 94. Spencer Davies, Brian Fritz, another episode brought to you by, of course, the basketballnews.com podcast network and the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. Ticket smarter. What's going on, Bri? Just waiting around for another game in the finals. I mean, I understand having the extra day off in between, and I think it's probably good for play. It's definitely good for the players, but it could be hell on us that want to just enjoy the games. It's not hell on me. I like to have my my time to rest. And uh, it, I'm just going to see keep saying it because it's just been an overlaying theme of this podcast. Yes, I like to golf. I like to enjoy nice weather. I like to go outside. I like to stream Marvel series that I haven't been able to catch up on. So it's not that bad for me. Well, let me and ask you this. And you know you what this, else? I, I get to watch wrestling, too. It's great. I got to ask you this essential question, then. Since you have time to do all these different things. Have you seen Top Gun Maverick yet? I have not entered the danger zone. But listen, but listen, you're going to laugh, Brian, because I was over at my friend's house on Saturday. And what do I do but walk in and they're watching the original one? 
Dang right. And they're talking about going to see it because they're so pumped to see it. And I'm like, all right, but like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not all that interested. I don't know. Like, you don't want maybe to take your shirt pressure? off and play volleyball right now. Come on. Maybe. Hey, <laughs> that might be, a, that might be fun here in a couple of days. It's going to be freaking 85 over here, but point being, I don't, I don't know how interested I am in it, especially because like the first one, like, yeah, it was cool. Like I saw it. It's just, I don't know. I'm not big fir- into planes. I guess the first one is fun and it's cheesy. And this one I think is even more fun. You haven't even seen it yet. I've seen it. The goose twice. scene was heart wrenching. I will oh, admit. Oh yeah, it is. Um, I saw it on opening night on a Dolby screen and even my wife enjoyed it. And she said, and I've never heard her say this before. I wouldn't mind seeing that again. So we went and saw it again and I saw it on a true IMAX screen. <laughs> That was the second experience. It was fantastic, man. I loved it. You see what the finals allows us to do, Brian? Okay, there's two teams left. You know, draft is like a few weeks away still. Free agency is a month away. We get a little bit of a reprieve here. There's only a pair of teams left. There's a series in which there are at least two games, two days in between the games, other than, of course, between Wednesday and Friday, as we know. But... I like it. It gives me a little bit of free time, a little relaxation. Some time to sometimes, you know, study a little bit of film if I want to. Well, I'm Maybe, somebody, like, you know, I, I am somebody that when it comes to like um, when a new TV show drops, there are people that enjoy it when it gets parsed out, you know, uh, or even if the whole thing drops at once, they'll kind of take their time watching it. Not me. I'm the guy that binge watches. In fact, so I you w- hate the cliffhanger. I, I like a good cliffhanger, but for me, I'm kind of like, I want to watch it. I want to watch it right now. Like, I hadn't got a chance to see Stranger Things the opening weekend it came out. Well, guess what? This past weekend, I watched almost all of it in one day, except for like the last hour, literally, because I was getting tired. So I, I, I don't know. I don't even know how many hours it was because the episodes were supersized. But I literally sat there all day and watched it, and then the next morning. I cranked out that last hour. That's where I've been with Daredevil and Punisher. I'm in season two of Punisher now, and I'm watching back all the old Marvel shows that were on Netflix that I never got into, and I've been blown away. But that's more or less not the point. Point being, finals, gaps in between, good thing for the players. And I think good for me, even though you disagree, and I'm sure a lot of fans disagree, because we've seen some pretty well-executed basketball in this series. It's just about, there's been some drought periods, and that's affected both teams very terribly. I was, as we saw in game one, when Al Horford chipped in six threes, for example, and had an amazing fourth quarter um, to close out game one, it, the, the Warriors didn't know what, what hit them. Celtics kind of brought that momentum back into game two, but then the third quarter, as we know the Warriors do, uh, they absolutely blew the doors off of Boston and they didn't know what hit them. And that was because, you know, obviously you had guys like Steph Curry get going, but I, I, I'm looking at Jordan Poole the way that he played that quarter, probably as confident of the quarters we've seen in a couple of series yet. Uh, you know, the, the tone that Andrew Wiggins sets on the defensive end. Clay Thompson still 
uh, not finding the mark. I'm sure that he will, but he looked a little bit out of sorts. But other than him, I mean, the team looked really good, I think, mostly on the defensive end. And that's how they set their tone, which is how Boston set their tone in, in game one. You know, like, so tick for tack, punch for punch. We're going back to being town tied up. That's just how it works. You know, Golden State, I think they will look at themselves and sit there and go, we had game one, except for that fourth quarter. We didn't put enough pressure on them. We didn't, you know, put our foot down when we should have. They had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. They didn't do it. Boston came back. Boston took the game. That was crazy. Yeah, Like, honestly, man, like, because the Warriors, halfway through the third quarter, were looking like they were in cruise control. And then Boston ended the quarter on, I think, like a 12-0 run or something like that. And then... It was just curtains from there on in. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know what's more surprising when you look back at that fourth quarter and that the Celtics scored 40 points or the Warriors only had 16. But we saw a big adjustment coming from that because if you looked at that, that was also a time in the fourth quarter for a portion of it where Andre Iguodala was on the floor at the same time as Draymond Green. And you had two non-offensive guys on the court together. And then for part of that, I believe Poole was out there as well and he was having an off game. And you, I think the moment got to him a little bit in game one. You could tell in game two that the rest of the team was really urging him on. And then when he got cooking, then everybody was really amping him up going, yeah, yeah, this is what we need. Keep doing it. So you saw that adjustment between game one and game two when it came to some of the lineup stuff. I mean, Iguodala's got a knee injury or at least that's what they're saying. And I... I think that was, you know, Steve Kerr saying, hey, if you're healthy enough to play in game one, I think you've earned the opportunity to play. And he did, and it just didn't work out. And I, who knows how severe the knee injury is. I don't think we're going to see Iggy for the rest of the series regardless because I just don't think it fits, especially to put him on the court with Draymond and not have have two guys out there that are non-offensive players or not a threat that you don't really have to defend. But we saw that change. We saw a defensive uh, you know, atmosphere around the Warriors changed. They cranked it up. Draymond Green was a nutcase in this game. I mean, right from the, the opening tip. I mean, if you watched him just being ultra physical, going after guys, how much he was talking, how animated he was, he, he was dialed up to like, you know, 18 on a scale of one to 10. I'm glad he didn't get ejected for that, by the way. And the second part where he landed on Jalen Brown, I mean, yeah, it was probably a little bit of head games going on, but I don't think there was anything hostile there. It was just a little bit of mind games going on. That that portion, I think that was the right call. I saw a lot of people, you know, kind of split on that, talking about how if you know who the player is, like, you know, you take it a little bit more lenient on them, but that doesn't really matter because, you know, you can't have selective officiating. But in that case, I think it was a good call to not go that way. Well, I think people are going to be frustrated because if that was a regular season game, I think Draymond would have been tossed. It and, would have been a double tech, essentially. Or, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, I, and I understand it. And, you know, Steve Javi, I thought, did a really good job of explaining it, going, hey, this is a playoff game. The officials already know that Draymond's got one. Is this really going to go to the level where he deserves a second one, knowing that he would be, you know, out of the game? And he said, yeah, they look at that. And they're going to officiate it probably a little bit different or look at it with a little bit more scrutiny. And I know that's going to be frustrating for people that are Celtics fans in that moment or, um, or just rooting, you know, against the Warriors. But um, 
that's the way the NBA is in a lot of ways. You know, that this has been going on for a long time. It has. It's it's a it's an all encompassing battle between Draymond and the official the officials. So um they do give him a little bit more leniency sometimes. Uh but in this case, I don't think he did anything like majorly like hostile to to warrant that. So let's 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 get into you know kind of the the ins and outs of this ball game. Uh on Boston's side, for me, just not enough dribble penetration, not enough twos it seemed like they really had they had a really hard time driving and and creating any sort of momentum going to the basket and you might have to credit golden state for that uh their perimeter defenders like i was mentioning earlier andrew wiggins tremendous at that um kavan looney had a really solid game he was right place right time the whole night by the way just (laughs) standing there in the same right area of the paint like the, the right side of the paint getting a bounce pass when Steph Curry was either drawing three or, you know, when when Clay was, you know, getting attention to him on the perimeter or when Draymond was looking for, uh, you know, any sort of cutter. Kevon Looney was in the same spot the whole night. And that's what he, <laughs> and he had to do. Point blank, he had a point blank layup the whole night, ended up with 12 and seven had. But 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 he also had three steals and a block there, too. Uh, so solid role played by him. But for me. I think the difference in in this game and the, the the perimeter defense for me, I think Gary Payton coming in playing 25 minutes and contributing the way he was able to was huge. And they used him, honestly, like just about the same amount as they did like, like you know, like Clay and, and Wiggins and Curry. Like they mixed him into these lineups but he was just so into people's grills. Like Marcus Smart had a terrible game, awful, awful game. Uh, Jalen Brown couldn't get any momentum going. The only guy who really could, honestly, was Derek White, and we'll talk about him later. Uh, but I thought Gary Payton was huge in this game. We talk about Jordan Poole, how he was able to finally find his mark uh, from deep and also uh, putting it on the floor and getting into some st- some passing lanes as well. The turnovers that the Warriors forced, ridiculous, man. They had 15 steals in this game. 15. That's ridiculous. I I think that's one of the things that that you really have to look at is how sloppy Boston got with the ball and how much pressure Golden State put on them. Because 18 turnovers in this game, Marcus Smart had five, Tatum had four. I mean, and they were bad. There were some bad turnovers in this game. You know, when you talk about, like, they didn't shoot well enough from two, you look at the numbers, they were 15 of 43 from two-point range in this game. That, that's, what, like 34 it. 35%, something like that? So, I mean, that that's definitely not going to cut it. And I think one of the big things that they did is how much attention they paid to Al Horford because Al was, was going at it in game one. And in this game, he could not get anything going. They would definitely, they, they definitely did not leave him open, you know, <laughs> For three-point range, he didn't even attempt a three-pointer in this game. I mean, he only attempted four shots, and they were swarming around him inside. And you could tell that he – it looked like he never felt comfortable. He never got the ball in the spot that he wanted, and I think the Warriors really went out of their way to pay special attention to that after what Horford did in game one, put up 26 points on 9-12 shooting. He had six threes in that game. And then you look at that box score, what he did in game two – one for four 
from the field, no three-pointers attempted. Yeah, and I mean, you know, his biggest value obviously comes on the defensive end, uh, but, you know, even there, he wasn't able to to really have the same impact that he had in game one. And, you know, maybe the Warriors saw him doing the Draymond thing, you know, like in game one, Horford with some gazemanship, you know, he was throwing up the, the double muscles like Draymond does after his and ones, you know, maybe they see some of that. But at the same time, you know, the Celtics should say the same thing because, you know, Draymond definitely gives them bulletin board material. This is what happens. I mean, this is just, again, friendly gamesmanship, um, but also the competition that they bring to the table. And I also, you know, special shout out to you uh, for this prediction before when we were previewing the finals in last week's episode, uh, talking about Nemanja Bialica. He came in and, and he did a dang good job in his minutes, uh, you know, only 10 but at the same time, threw him in there kind of like a little wrench, um, if you will, that Steve Kerr pulled out. And it wasn't the you know offensive impact that we're talking about. I'm talking about defensively. Uh, just a bigger body to throw in front of uh, Jason Tatum, believe it or not, uh, on some of the times where Tatum was trying to come off screens. Bayalitza put his body in front of him. He wasn't able to like keep up with him stride for stride, but he's a big dude. Uh, and he got in the way enough for them to, you know, force a pass out back to the perimeter or to force uh, what would become a turnover. It's those little things that don't pop up in the box score that we don't see, but there was that, um, you know, he crashed the glass and he was able to, you know, finish a couple shots at the rim. What's funny. You talk about Bielitsa and what he did for Tatum, because the one thing you noticed in this game was size affected Tatum because when Wiggins was on him, he had a tough time. Even when he drove and he had a big body in front of him like a Looney or Bielitsa, he had a tough time. But when there was a smaller guy guarding him, he would do that step to the left, take the three, and he was he was going in the first half. And I think that's one of the adjustments that the Warriors you know, tried to do in the second half, and I think we'll try to do going forward, is Wiggins cannot switch off of him. He needs to stay with Tatum, and they need to try to force him to those bigger bodies. And, I mean, can we talk about the second half? Tatum had three shots in the second half. That's it. I mean, three attempts. And, I mean, he got to the line three times. That was it. They had no answer. They had no answer for that first half uh, because, he, like you said, he came out firing. It looked like he found a stroke. He was 5 of 7 from deep in the first half. And then that just kind of plummeted. Plummeted. And, as we mentioned before, Jalen Brown wasn't able to, to pick it up like he – had been uh, in the game prior. Uh, Marcus Smart was, again, nowhere to be found. Just a, just a bad game, you know, and it happens. It happens, especially on the stage that, you know, he hasn't been on yet. Um, I'm and sure he's going to bounce up. back. I'm he, sure he's going to bounce back in game three, though. That's Absolutely. The thing. I mean, and this is the way that this series has gone. I think it's similar to what Boston did, you know, in the Miami series, and that each game is unto its own. I don't think you can really be strong in a prediction, you know, when it comes to, how everybody is going to play is going to see how it plays out. I mean, the Boston crowd could have an effect on this, but we've seen the Celtics lose on their home court as well. Um, how healthy is everybody? I mean, I think that's why it means so much to have those extra day off because, you know, Marcus Smart, he's not at 100%. We all know he's got something going on with that ankle or knee, you know, but he's gutting through it. Um, Robert Williams, I I almost didn't think he was going to get up for a moment when Smart – 
you know, fell into his knee and he was down on the floor, you know, for a minute there. And he's obviously not close to a hundred percent. So these extra days off in between games mean a lot, especially I think for the Celtics, you know, Williams and smart have been banged up all postseason. We know that. Um, so that that's where the rest helps. I, I do want to get into to Derek White. I mean, even though uh, it it doesn't look like an amazing box score per se, I think he's just been tremendous. He has been. Uh, since yeah. he had the kid, and we, we we mentioned the you know the the Fred Van Vliet effect uh, of becoming a new father. It's just a thing apparently where guys just become better. <laughs> but uh, I, I could watch this guy play defense all day. Did, did did you see his transition defense in game two? He's been great, man. He has been great. It, it's just like he's just a. He's not that big of a guy or tall of a guy, but he's got enough upper body to like make you think and uh, make you think twice about driving on him. And it's funny because a lot of Spurs fans are finally like, oh, you get to see what we saw for a number of years that Derek White's a shot blocker. <laughs> like, you know, you say like Derek White's a shot blocker. He's like six, three, six, four. But no, he is. He's a shot blocker. He's he, he's somebody that that can take your candy. Um, but he's, you know, finding an offensive rhythm, uh, with this, this team and is playing a really solid six man role for them. So it's a little uh, bit easier too when the Warriors leave him time. wide open. I mean, when, when there's nobody within like eight feet of him and he's taking a three that, that makes it a little bit easier. Oh, sure. No question. But I mean, he's getting to the rim though. Like he's like one of the, the few guys that is getting to the rim. Uh, unlike, you know. Jalen Brown's not really doing the rim thing. He's doing the pull-up mid-ranger deal or the catch-shoot threes. Uh, you know, Tatum, obviously, is somebody that gets to the rim. But look at throughout this roster. Who's getting to the rim? Like, Marcus Smart, if he's not getting to the rim, then Derek White's going to have to be that guy to put the pressure on those shot blockers and those rim protectors. And that's what Derek White's been doing this this series so far. And for the last, honestly, like five or six games. It's funny we sit here and we talk about what a swing it was in game two. And obviously it was, especially in that second half. And, you know, the third quarter, once again, the Celtics are bad. The Warriors were good. That's a theme that's that's gone on in the first two games. And the Celtics have been horrible in third quarters throughout the playoffs. The Warriors have been great in the third quarters. And that's something they've been doing for years. Uh, and And that's probably going to continue again. But if you look at this game at the half, the Warriors were only up by two, and it really felt like this was a game that the Celtics had from the standpoint that they had struggled a little bit in the first half. They were sloppy with the ball and everything, but it was only a two-point game. And it's just like, man, they just cleaned it up just a little bit, and this is theirs. And, you know, they could come away up 2-0 and go back home, but then that third quarter was their demise again. Yeah. No, it was. And... Third quarters have been the Warriors' recipe for success. Uh, what, the last six years, seven years? Since the beginning so, of this dynasty, if this that's dynasty, what you want to yeah. call it. They yeah. come out and punch you in the mouth in third quarter. So the Celtics just got to be prepared, man. That That's that's plain and simple. That's just how it's got to go. And, you know, the Celtics, you know, kind of thing that that they found uh, in the playoffs, too, was that they're, they're strong in third quarters. So, you know, maybe they've got to just, Flip the script a little bit. Uh, last point on this series before we move on. What are your thoughts on Clay Thompson? Because just watching him on the offensive end, 
not not so much the defensive end. He's been okay on the defensive end. But on the offensive end, to me, he looks like doesn't look like he's thinking twice. He's shooting off the rip. Like there's nothing different about that. But it looks like there's kind of a I don't know how to describe it. There's a mechanical thing that's going on, I think, because I don't see him always squaring up the way that he normally does. Okay, it's mechanical. I, I was going to say, I don't think it's mental, and I don't think it's process, because we've seen Clay go off. We saw Clay go off, I think it was in uh, Game 7. Like ga- Game 6 so, against like, the Grizzlies, he scored 34. Yeah, um, so, like he's fine. Like, yeah. But it, just, it, was, it was weird, though, because he was getting to his spots. He was doing the fadeaways off the post-ups. He was doing the catch-shoot threes. They were just a little off. Like, so, so that's why I'm like, it's not like, you know, you can't be like, oh, this isn't the same clay. I, was like, I, I just think the first couple of games, he just hasn't, he just hasn't had his, his groove. Yeah, he hasn't. And, and, and I think that's what it is. I, I don't always see him when he's coming off screens. It doesn't look like he's squaring up, you know, with his shoulders uh, the right way. Maybe his footwork is off a little bit because if you look so far in this series, six of 14 in game one, Four of nineteen in game two, so yeah, he's he even is in garbage time. Did you see that Steve Kerr left him in? Yeah, he's because like, go find your going. rhythm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I mean, you know, we sit here and we can talk about you know game two, but it's not like Steph Curry had a great game. I mean, Steph played well and got got going there in that you know crucial third quarter, but he ended up shooting nine of twenty one. Um, you know, Wiggins was only four of twelve. So this is a game that was marked by Golden State's defense, and they still have plenty of improvement on offense. It's just whether or not the Celtics defense is going to allow that because that's what the Celtics do is, you know, play great defense, and they just need to get their shots going, you know, on offense, and that just didn't happen in this game. We've talked about the Warriors and their screens, you know, at length uh, as a basketball community, even since the Andrew Bogut days. Are Draymond's screens iffy to you, or are they within the playing field playing rules? They're iffy, but he's done it long enough to where all the officials have seen it and allow it. That's true. I just wanted to bring that up because there's a clip going around, I think, where Steph hits a three, where Draymond kind of acts as a blocker (laughs) for uh, three Celtics defenders to give his shooter an open look. Look and at some that of the, one was a little suspect to me, but at the same time, if the defender is backpedaling and there is minimal contact, then maybe it flies. But I thought that clip was really funny. I've seen some clips of Dwight Howard from a few years ago where it looked like he was uh, getting in somebody's chest and then walking them back three steps as a screen. <laughs> you know? so it's it's not legal but if you can get away with it and and i think that's what draymond does is he tries to push the limits and he does it immediately so that way he knows what he can get away with where he tries you know hey okay man we're gonna do something that's even really over the top okay i so that way i've set that boundary and now i can still push the limit a little bit get away with it and it's not as extreme as that example i tried to set early on in the game this is true so this he does that all the time. By the way, so we always talk about the adjustments between these games. We saw an adjustment between game one and game two. So what do you think the adjustments are now going into game three and shifting to Boston? Oh, I think it depends on the health of Robert Williams. Uh, 
I need to see that Rob can move the way that Rob can. If Rob can't move the way that Rob can, then I think that you go with Horford and Graham Williams in the starting lineup together. That was one of the things I was going to look at as well. Even if Rob Williams can go, I do wonder if they try to limit uh, Rob and Horford together on the court, if that's an adjustment. Right. And I wouldn't if, I wouldn't mess with Derek White because he's just in a groove. I wouldn't put him in the starting lineup. Maybe if you want to run him with the starter, sure. But I'm not messing with that. Yeah, I'd put Grant in the starting lineup. Here's another adjustment, and I think if they can get away with it, I think they're going to limit or not even play Tice. Tice at all, huh? He goes he goes so far under these screens and leaves such a bubble for Steph or whoever to shoot, and he just does not learn his lesson from that. I remember how much drop coverage Boston was playing in the first couple games, too. Yeah. So could be just what he's doing, what he's being asked. Maybe. Uh, but I, I but mean, yeah. it, it just feels like even if you're giving them a sliver, like that's too much. You've got to smother. Sure. Sure. Any adjustments from the Warrior side that you need to see? I think that, you, like I said before, I don't think you're going to see much of Iggy at all the rest of the series. I think he's done. Um, I think they want to find ways to get pool out there where it can be a little bit more of an offensive lineup so he can get going. So there's not as much of a focus on him. So maybe he's in there with Steph, maybe a little bit more and Wiggins okay. because then they can't, um, he can, he'll find more opportunities for some open shots to get his group going. And and I think one thing that you're going to see Boston do a little bit more is probably target him on the other end of the court. Yeah, I, I it'd probably be smart to do that. <laughs> They've done it a little bit, but they haven't gone full bore with it yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to try different things. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like I said, you know, Steph has played well, but we he hasn't really gone off for a sustained four quarter game yet. So maybe that's going to happen. I don't think Wiggins has shot very well. I mean, Golden State overall, you know, they have not shot great in the entire series, I don't think. Um, and Boston shot well enough in that, you know, second half especially, or even in the first half in the fourth quarter of game one. They shot exceptionally well. And they were shooting well early on in game two, especially when it came to Tatum. But they just got really cold in the second half. Yeah. That we know that they're at their worst when they start going to that ISO stuff. Oh, absolutely. So they've got to find a way to get Horford some better looks in this one. And that's where the chess match comes into play. Yeah. And, and you know, going back to what you said before about Looney, I mean, it's so wonderful we can just stand down there because anybody that's going to drive, whether it's Curry or it's perfect. Thompson. It's just or, literally, st- I'm telling you, Brad, the same right, he's right of yep. the basket. That's always right going to do. There, not getting the three-second call because he's in a good spot. It's almost like he's in the ducker spot, but he's not a lob threat. So he's just receiving these bounce passes, these pocket passes, these drive and dumps, and all right, here you go, easy layup. He has pump fakes and then he dunks. And, and you know, whoever the driver is, they're getting double, triple teamed. So yep. he can just shade over at the last second. <laughs> there was a screen just, cap whoop. of Steph with four people on him. It was yes, just hilarious. It was exactly. like, it's amazing what Steph's grabbing. And he's is. just going to like, I'm just going to slide right in here and you can just dump off a pass to me and I'll either go straight up or I'll pump fake and I'll lay it in or I'll dunk it. Yep. 
think so. He's six for six in that game. That's exactly what he needs to do. And he's been great defensively. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And and we know how good he is on the boards. So that that's big-time contributions right there. But we're headed back to Beantown. We'll see how the series goes. But it's tied up 1-1. And the finals is off to a riveting start. So uh, definitely uh, check back in with us uh, on the next time on that one. So let's get to the news a little bit. Quinn Snyder out as jazz head coach. That's crazy. It's not really crazy, but it's still crazy because you think about how long he's been with the team. And it, it feels like, you know, the last couple seasons, you you see that, you know, Donovan Mitchell gets paid this large extension. Uh, Rudy Gobert gets paid this large extension. They have their future settled in. You know, you go out and trade for Mike Conley, who was coming off of an, you know, a, a near all-star year in Memphis. And, you know, you have some solid depth. You bring in, uh, uh you know, some solid, uh, you know, surrounding pieces like Bogdanovich and Clarkson. Looks like things are good. And then, you know, even after some good regular seasons, you don't get the job done in the postseason. And uh, it just kind of unravels before your eyes. It's just really odd and a really weird sight. But it feels like it's the right move for all parties. Well, it sounded like Quinn kind of struggled with the idea and then finally said, you know what? It just hasn't worked out here or it's it's time for us to part ways. And, you know, he's there for eight seasons. You know, they went to the playoffs the last six years. They just could not get over the hump. And you have to wonder if some of the changes that have happened there recently are what kind of pushed him over that. It's not like there's anything bad necessarily. It's just things are being done different because you have a new owner and you have a new front office. And, you know, that's a change from the way that things had gone for most of his tenure there. And he has probably felt like, Hey, now is a good time for me to step away. Um, I don't know if he would, if he'd go to any job. I mean, I, it sounds like the jazz, if they really wanted to, they could stop him from coaching this coming year. Cause he was still technically under contract, but I think he probably wants to kind of sit back for a year and, you know, refresh, and then go for <clears throat> take San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, there's always that too. I mean, I'm I'm sure that the Lakers are sitting going, great timing. We wanted you, Quinn. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't even know if he really wanted to go there too, because if he had questions about the ownership going on um with Utah or the front office, um then wouldn't you have those same questions, if not even more so, with the Lakers? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's pretty bad when you literally have to go out of your way to say, hey, so this guy that works in the front office by the name of Kurt Rambis, we're going to make sure that he doesn't just drop by your film sessions and give you notes. I mean, more power to you. So now we have, you know, this offseason with the jazz that we already thought was going to be up in the air. And it's even more up in the air because Donovan Mitchell was really tight with Quinn Snyder. It sounds like everybody on the team was pretty close with him, even Rudy Gobert. But Mitchell was the one that allegedly was upset and now kind of pondering his future. Um, now that Quinn Snyder has left, which makes people wonder, like, could he be on the move? And is that something that Utah would seriously consider, especially since he still has three years left on his contract? That's a, yeah. That's a lot. 
That, I was going to say, that is quite a bit of time. He's got three years, and Gobert just started his max. <sighs> That's crazy. I, I mean, one of them's gone. Let's be perfectly honest. And that was even with Quinn in the fold. Right. But it, one of them's gone. But I, I think they, they would have preferred, hey, let's, let's move Rudy and build around Donovan. And now it's kind of like, well, we got to see how Donovan feels about everything. Yeah. I mean, even if he is upset, I wouldn't trade him. And I'd be like, hey, we're going to show you. I know you're upset. I know you wanted to get moved. But let's let the offseason play out. Let's get a new coach in here. Let's see what Danny can do in the front office. Let's see how we can reshape this roster. And then we'll go from there. Does this entail, you know, you're listening to offers for Bogdanovich. You're listening to offers for Clarkson. You're listening to offers for Conley, even though Conley obviously is handsomely paid. Like, is that is that part of this discourse too? Is everybody, you know, touchable? Well, you have Danny Ainge in the front office, and he infamously told everybody with the Celtics, everybody here is touchable. Everybody okay. here could be traded. So there's no way he goes into the situation without that same mindset. Sure. And he's just going to look at it like, what do I think is best for this organization? And, I mean, if it's trading Rudy, uh, I'll be interested to see what he could get for him because – as talented as he is defensively, we all know about his limitations at the other end of the court. Plus, he's a guy that makes, I believe, $42 million. That's a hefty paycheck. Mm-hmm. And he's just starting that max deal. So <laughs> we'll see who the suitors are for that. You're going to have to get a third team involved, let's be honest. Maybe. You, you might have to. And and I know we're going to get into it, but you know, Hey Rudy, yeah. say hello to your new home, Oklahoma city. <laughs> oh man. I, but the other thing is too, like if you're in the market for a center, um, there could be two pretty big names on the market because Deandre Ayton is another guy that sounds like he's going to be available. Boy. Oh boy. Yes. Um, and there's quite a few teams that make sense for him. Uh, you know, Evan Sider did a really good job of, of of breaking down, you know, the pros and the cons of, of DeAndre. Uh, and it, that's somebody who's covered him for a while being over there um, in Sunland. Uh, basically, Aiden has the capabilities once if you have the person that works with him uh, to get him looks. So DeAndre is not somebody that is a, a create your own shot type, uh, apparently. Uh, he's somebody who excels in pick and roll, um, is somebody who is amazing at finishing off of feeds and, um, is basically somebody who you get the ball to him. He's going to make something happen. Uh, but if he starts with the ball in his hands that he's gonna probably have a little bit rougher time, or we just don't know, uh, because we haven't seen his usage very high since this era of Suns basketball started with Chris Paul. That's the curious part, and that's the one where you're thinking, okay, what's what's his perceived value? And I hate doing this because I hate talking about transactions. Uh, but what's his perceived value on the court? Uh, that that's tough to gauge. You saw how good he was in the playoffs last year. He was good in the playoffs this year too, um, until that series against Dallas. Uh, what what do you think? is the right player price for him 
like what makes sense. I know you have it here in the outline. I I just think it's good to have an, you know, an open forum about this because I'm not exactly sure. I think it has to do with fit. I think it has to do with Phoenix has to get something damn good in return, but I don't think it's that elite return that we're thinking. I don't think it would be either because I mean, they could let him go. He's a, he's a restricted free agent. So another team could sign him to an offer sheet and they could just let him walk. Um, the chances of that happening are, I think are slim to none. So it makes sense that they would do a sign and trade. And I think they're just looking for somebody that can contribute and be a good piece because I don't think they're necessarily like, we got to get a star back or anything like that. Cause I don't think that's going to happen, but it doesn't mean that you couldn't get a pick in a good player. Um, or maybe even if some of it is, um, a, a trade exception. I mean, they might have to do that. I mean, hey, the team that gets mentioned the most, the Pistons, it makes sense um, from the standpoint that, you know, they're going to try to build around Cade Cunningham. He will be going into his second year. You remember, Aiton's only 24 years old, so he's still really young. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they want to make a splash. And when it comes to what, you know, Aiton's going to get paid, I mean, it only takes one team to get a max deal. Sure. And I'll bet he gets a max deal or damn close to it. Um, Cause there are, it sounds like there's other teams that are interested. It's just, you know, you're not going to get like a massive return. Like Jeremy Grant is somebody that's mentioned. Okay. Jeremy Grant could definitely play in that rotation. Um, and he could start, he could come have a big role off the bench. So that's something um, the Spurs get mentioned. Yaka Pirtle. So if, I mean, if it was something for Pirtle, then it's like, Okay, now maybe it's a pick or that trade exception, and we've got Porter and Vassell. Pearl yeah, we've got a good Kelton center. Johnson. So I mean, you're filling that center role, but it's somebody that's you know not going to have the the upside. Pertle would be amazing in Phoenix, by the way. He would be. So I mean that that that's a deal that makes sense as well. So yeah. I mean, there's people you know talk about the Blazers. You know, like that. Yeah. That's another one. Dallas makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are teams that absolutely make sense. Charlotte's the one that we came up with a few. You know, a few podcasts ago. That I think Toronto. Sense. Toronto, Toronto is a team Toronto, that makes it. Yeah. Toronto wants a center. And that that's why I think it's really interesting now, too, in that, like, it sounds like Aiton is available. And it sounds like Gobert is available. Like, the Jazz are kind of, not secretly, but, you know, not loudly, like, talking with other teams. Like, yeah, you know, I know you're interested in Donovan, but what about Rudy? Yeah. Do you want, do you want a uh, defensive player of the year? who's an all-star who just, you know, he's just a, a, a decent finisher on the uh, offensive end. Or do you want somebody who's able to pull up the mid-ranger, who's able to use the jump hook, who's able to, you know, do work uh, on the finishes and have still some solid defensive um, impact uh, without being a, a pure shot blocker, so to speak. You know, that that's your preference. Whatever that preference is, you know. Two two centers could absolutely be on different teams. Yeah, and and like I said before, when it comes to Rudy, you have to be able to stomach that salary. Mm -hmm. You have to be comfortable with that, and that could be that could be really tough. Depends on what you're willing to pay for and where you are at in your process as a team. By the way, That's speaking it. of money, I saw where Zach Lowe did a piece for ESPN Plus talking about the Warriors. And it was kind of breaking down how they end up getting Wiggins. And as part of it, they were talking about the salaries coming up for them because like 
you know, Poole is get, going to get paid. Draymond's contract is coming up. I think, is it Clay's contract that's coming up? Um, Looney's contract is coming up. And they're saying that if you count the tax and uh, everybody gets paid, they could be on the hook for a payroll of $475 million for one season. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Because of the repeater tax and everything that goes into that. I believe Bobby Marks helped him with that, but it was like, oh my God. That's a real repeater's tax. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. And and paying guys high salaries because, you know, uh, I, I was, you know, before the playoffs, we were all talking about, man, Poole was going to cash in. And then I started watching his role in the playoffs. He's been okay, um, but he hasn't been the same players the regular season. I was like, Okay, so how much is the playoffs costing Jordan Poole now? But, you know, he's still going to be paid very well. You know, Looney is, you know, he's like a cult figure out there, and he's played very well, so he's going to get paid. And, you know, we'll see what Draymond gets. Um, we'll see what Clay gets. You know, but, I mean, you know, they've got some big money stuff coming up here. I mean, does that mean you have to move a guy? Um, you know, Wiggins gets talked about there. I mean, that's some for down the line, but you're just talking about the money. And I saw that payroll thing and my eyes about jumped out of my head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go on to Pat Riley and the heat. He could do more pushups than both of us combined right now. At 77 years old, Bri at 77 years old. I know Remember he can that. do more than me. I have tendonitis in my shoulders. Was that a shot at any of his players? <laughs> um, maybe a point guard. Oh God, no! I don't. I don't think he was taking. No, shots at I don't think and, so. And either. he understands. He empathizes. You know, Lowry went through some some personal stuff, and he said he didn't have to bring it up. And that's true. You never bring up any of that stuff. But he is talking about Kyle. You know, hopefully being in better shape next year, uh, meeting that requirement. What is it? Eighteen uh, percent. Did they not fat that Miami say, puts out there? Didn't they not put him on the scale for the playoffs? I don't know. It's an episode of heavyweights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you got that. <laughs> um, but but really though, I, I think uh Cal will be in better shape next year and yeah, and, and they, they know what they need to do. And you know, they've got they've got players that they're able to deal out. Um, you know, Tyler Hero, he's been very vocal about wanting to start. Miami's probably in that place of show me, show me you can start, show me you can be that player. Um, so you know, he's probably gonna be somebody who's, you know, on the mill a little bit. Uh Duncan Robinson, somebody who barely played in the playoffs, is gonna be in the mill a little bit. He will be. Is that enough? Is that he, enough though? Well, it depends on how much somebody values Tyler Hero. If they see him being a star, because Hero and Robinson, I'm sure, I'm sure will be a combo of some sort. Absolutely, but that's the other part of it too. Not only okay, do I see Hero as a star, and am I okay with paying Duncan Robinson eighteen million dollars a year for the next was it three seasons? Uh let me look. Yeah. Okay. Didn't he get a four-year deal that paid him $18 million per year? Something like that. Duncan. Duncan is 15, 16, 18, 19, 19. Oh, okay. So there's four more years left on that. So it's through 20, uh, 25, the, 
oh, the 2025-26 season. Wow. Yeah. That's a large, it's a long, large deal. It's a lot of money. It is. But hey, shooting comes at a premium. It does, Let's, but the thing is, like they they found him unplayable because his defense was so bad in the playoffs. Right. So some team with bad with really really good defense can use him then. But you're you gonna see have how, you you picking up yeah. what I'm saying here. Yeah, but I mean you <laughs> you have to package him though with Hero because Hero's still on a rookie deal. Yes, exactly. Before someone extends him. Yes. You can do it. You can if, absolutely if your team needs sh- shooting and somebody who can self-create. And we know that Tyler Hero's gotten so much better as a playmaker because when Jimmy's been down, he's de- he's absolutely helped this team. But they want to go- you can do it. But if they want to go big game hunting, which is something that Pat Riley loves to do, like a Donovan Mitchell type. Let's exactly be- that's what I was going to yeah. say. It, Donovan Mitchell is the one guy that that really stands out as somebody I think they would try to go after. Okay. Does Duncan and Tyler Hero do the job? No. No. How many picks would you have to throw in with that before Utah? And it doesn't work monetarily, too, but that's beside the point. But if you were able to make the money work, and those are the two primary pieces. I mean, I I don't know how many picks Utah would have to say, you got to throw this in as well. What, three? Yeah. Okay, so here's here's, here's the good thing with Duncan's contract. 25, 26, it's partially guaranteed, and there's an ETO on it. So you, there's an early termination option on that last last year. So you have 16.9, 18.1, 19.4, and then the partially guaranteed salary in 25-26. But still, even for next season, you combine those two salaries, it's, what, 22 and a half? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a pretty penny. It is between the two of them, but it's still not like massive. You just opt into it, and then you know you go extension from there. That's that was uh, to to me. Throwing in Tyler Hero would be like attaching the you know a pick per se, like 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 a positive asset to outweigh a negative asset. But I mean, if they want to get another All Star on that team, it can't just be Duncan and picks. It's got to be Tyler and Duncan. Yeah, you're no, to a, Duncan I'm not money. talking from the lens of a Donovan Mitchell deal yeah. here. That's that's ridiculous. Right. That, that's not going to even come but close I, to getting it. I think yet. they would be happy to move Duncan. It's just I'm not sure what they could get for him. Duncan and Hero for Jeremy Grant or something. Something like that. You know, like. What could you that get? That makes for, more sense. What could you get for Duncan if you didn't, if you kept Hero out of it, but you attached picks? Joe Harris? I don't know. Maybe. I don't even know. Yeah, that's it's tough. That's that's tough. So I mean, they they can sit there and I mean the Heat, you know, and Pat Riley can make their intentions known around the league. But I think everybody already kind of knew that, and we'll see what they can conjure up. How about a different Harris? How about Gary Harris? I'm just I'm just I'm just spitballing. Sure. But Gary Harris does make the most. I did not know that Gary Harris made the most money on the magic, by the way. Yeah. It was, it was over 20 million. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Every, and he's, but, he, he, he's an unrestricted this year. By the way, everybody wants to use the thunder as their like drop off station. Yeah. With the amount thunder, of cap from a, them. Indiana's going to be on that. Here, oh very yeah. Soon. 
And, you know, Indiana's going to want to move off some of that salary. You know, it sounds like they want to move off Brogdon and maybe Heald. Sure. So because they want to they want to get everything right for the following season um, when they'll have plenty of cap space. Makes plenty of sense. You know, and, and now they've got Halliburton in there. You know, they've got Miles Turner if they want to keep him. Um, you know, they're, they're in the lottery this year for the first time in 20 years or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, but there's only so many teams that have like this excess of cap space, you know, like I believe Orlando has some and, but everybody keeps talking about, well, we'll do a three A deal and uh, the thunder. And I'm like, there's only like one team that could probably do that. If the thunder even want to do it this off season sooner right. or later, the thunder got to do something with those damn picks that they've got. And I don't know if that means like, moving up in a draft or trading for something and having to, you know, throw in like seven first round picks or whatever it's going to be. But sooner or later, they got to start using that stuff. Evan is speculating that they could get into the Ananobi sweepstakes, use four of those picks to get Ananobi. That's an wow. interesting proposition, especially, you know, if the Thunder want to, you know, advance their rebuild. I mean, even four picks, they're still going to have 18 million left. That's so. the incredible thing. You could sit there and go, wow, that's a huge overpay with the amount of picks you're going to include. But then at the same time, when you look at like the war chest of picks that they have, mm-hmm. it's not that ridiculous. No, it's not. It's not. So that's that. That's good on the scuttlebutt there. We'll dive real quick into the coaching stuff and then we'll get on out of here. So Darvin Ham comes to the big spotlight on Monday, introduced as Lakers head coach. Had a really cool quote. Let me pull it up. Uh, it's on our Twitter from the, uh, the the AP story that ran. And um, it definitely uh, shows you the kind of attitude this guy's going to have coming in. And, you know, new news today that, that Brian just put up for us on the news lines uh, that the uh, Lakers assistants uh, pretty much uh, have been ousted other than Phil Handy. So, um, you know, we could talk about that. But he's establishing his own staff. But here's the quote from from Darvin Ham. I was shot in the face by accident April 5th, 1988. You go through something like that, it's going to do one or two things. It's going to make you fearful or make you fearless. It made me fearless. So one probably really badass quote um, from your brand. How new many other coach. coaches in the league could say, yeah, I got shot in the face. I know, right? That I mean, but but seriously, uh, this guy's respected around the league. He's been an assistant for a while. He played. We know that. He has a relationship with LeBron. Russell Westbrook was at his press conference showing support. Darvin was, you know, speaking highly of Anthony Davis. Like, you know, you know, there's always the the classic, oh, win the press conference thing. But seems like he's a really solid, solid uh, coach, but also a, a really good dude who's going to be able to connect with these guys. I was very surprised when people started saying, which players are there? And they said, Russell Westbrook. I was like, what? Russ was there and you know, there's this whole, do we really believe the Lakers when they're saying that they're going to go into the next off season with, with Russ. And I think that is truly a sign of saying they are totally prepared for it. It doesn't mean he's still not going to be moved this off season. And I still believe he will be because you can sit there and talk about like, Oh, the new coach and his mentality and Russ has more respect for him and all this stuff. But <laughs> we all know about all the other issues that have gone on there that I don't know if they can really bring him back. And, um, but I thought that was, uh, that was very interesting to see. It was, it was, but it's good though. You get support right off the bat there. Well, 
you know, that, that Darwin's, you know, his one of the ongoing themes in that presser was sacrifice. Guys got to sacrifice on this team. And I and I heard that S word before last season as well. Supposedly that was a word brought up when um, LeBron and AD met with Russ. Uh-huh. We all have to sacrifice. So that's coming up again. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, Darvin talking about like everybody's got to be accountable on defense. And, you know, they even said like, we want to get Russ back to being, you know, a great defensive player. I'm like, when was that? Um, <laughs> I think somebody actually asked the question about like, would you bring Russ off the bench? And I guess Russ was over on the side with some of the other guys and started chuckling when that got, that question got asked. <laughs> I don't think Russ is ready to come off the bench. It's tough. I mean, that's a tough adjustment for somebody, but Hey, you know, Mello laughed that off and then ended up having a resurgence. Right. Uh, you know, if you want to really compare situations like that. So who knows? Who knows? Well, uh, what, what do you think about the, uh, the little rumor turning around about Rashid Wallace being Ham's first hire? I can understand that because that's a buddy of his. They played together with the Pistons and you want to have an ally on your staff. And I could totally understand that. And he's another guy that I think a lot of players have respect for that he played not too long ago, you know, kind of like Darvin as well. And um, I, I could get that. I mean, I, I think that the other thing is too, and I'm sure the Lakers and Ham realize this is that, it's his first time. It's, I mean, he's been an assistant coach for a while in this league, but you'd like to surround him with some really experienced guys. And that means possibly some former head coaches. So we'll see who else he can get for that staff. All right. From Lakerland over to the Queen City, Charlotte, as we mentioned in the opener, Mike D'Antoni and Kenny Atkinson, the last two standing. Who's the job going to? And uh, are these the right? two candidates left for this job. It's quite interesting because Kenny's specialty is with younger players. And yes. I think they are tired of not making the postseason or not making a bigger dent in the postseason. And then you've got an offensive uh, specialist in uh, Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. I so, know. And oh, God, I, it sounds really fun. That offense with Mike D'Antoni sounds really fun. Like, get that out of the way. But I still, I just, I'm trying to win a championship. I feel like D'Antoni's just not your guy. Like, this, this would be like, what, the fourth or fifth job he's had? Something like that. By the way, like, we have breaking Laker news. Phil Handy will be staying on. Well, there you go. So Phil has been extended a job offer by Darvin Ham and will stay a part of his coaching staff. There you go. There you have it. We just popped that in there, right? That's why I said everybody but Handy. Yep. And then possibly Rasheed Wallace. But it sounds like you want yeah. Kenny Atkinson to get the job. I do. But that's also because I'm impartial to Kenny Atkinson because I think he got a raw deal in Brooklyn. He did. I, I wrote a whole article about it. Mm-hmm. Actually, the season, like right before the Nets started their first season with Kyrie and KD, even though KD was hurt, it was just Kyrie that was going in there and then he got hurt. And that was before all the stuff happened where they went out and got hardened that January and whatnot. Like, that was basically like, you know, bowing to the demands of the superstar and forgetting who took you there. 
They ended up ousting Jared Allen, Karis LeVert out of the picture, Spencer Dinwiddie, all the guys that got them there. It just didn't sit right with me. I feel like Kenny Atkinson deserves absolutely a second chance, and I think he can take a team to that next level. I don't have any doubts about it. Just because you're a player development coach, just because you have that label, doesn't mean you can't get to the next level. It takes takes time for coaches to develop too. Like, I, I just think he got a raw deal there, and it would be juicy to me for Kenny to be in Charlotte because there's already young talent there that's gotten their developmental steps in where he could take them to that next echelon. And it all starts with the roster too, by the way. It all starts with the roster. If Kenny gets that job, who's going to be an assistant with the Warriors? Well, Since Steve Kerr would be losing his two top assistants. Ironically, I mean, a lot of people were thinking about Luke Walton, but he ended up in Cleveland. Right, because uh, so, remember, Mike Brown's got the Kings job. Kenny Atkinson's the other top assistant, and maybe he's going to get the Charlotte job. So Maybe maybe Fizz goes there now that he's got an open schedule. He maybe does Frank have Vogel goes there. Um, you ever think of that? Vogel could get the Jazz job. That's also true. I think it should be Alex Jensen, as I mentioned last week. I think but, it's going to be uh, Will Hardy. Okay. Got our, got our predictions in there. Yes. But yeah. Uh, who do you think actually wins it? Not who you think uh, should get it. I think Kenny's going to win it. I think that... I do too. I think MJ is going to um, lean a little bit on his uh, general manager, Mitch Kupchak, and uh, go with Kenny. I think so too. That's a good call. And that's a good stopping place, I think, here for us on Keeping It 94. As we are two games into the finals, it's tied up. Warriors and Celtics. Talked about some off-season news. Talked a little bit about the danger zone. Gave you a little bit of a smorgasbord here on this episode of Keeping It 94. Brought to you by the BasketballNews.com podcast network, of course. You can listen to The Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. The Alex Kennedy podcast with Alex Kennedy. The rematch with Aton Thomas. And, of course, Dishes and Dimes with the ladies. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do the same for us so we can continue with the discourse and the disagreements and the agreements and (laughs) debates, whatever it takes for us to interact uh, with our audience because we really appreciate you listening. Don't forget, too, that the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com is Ticket Smarter. Looking to go to the hottest concert, sports, theater, and family shows near you? Get 100% guaranteed tickets to more than 125,000 live events from Ticket Smarter, the official ticket marketplace of basketballnews.com. Order online now. You can find me on Twitter at Spin Davies. You can find him on Twitter at Brian Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Spin Davies. You can find him on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. So he's going to go on a little vacation, but we're still going to make it work, damn it. Keep it at 94. We'll live on. We'll talk to you next week. Whenever I record, promise, it's still going to be good. He's going to enjoy his vacation. I'm going to continue to golf in in between days. Maybe have a little bit of a sip of an adult beverage. All the fun stuff. So until the next episode of Keep It at 94, we'll talk to you next time.